0: The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com.
1: Jesus traveled around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters. And Jesus's brothers said to him, leave here, go to Judea, where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers didn't believe in him. Jesus replied, now is not the right time for me to go but you can go anytime. The world can't hate you, but it does hate me because I accuse it of doing evil. You go on. I'm not going to this festival because my time has not yet come. After saying these things, Jesus remained in Galilee. But after his brothers left for the festival, Jesus also went, though secretly, staying out of public view The Jewish leaders tried to find him at the festival and kept asking if anyone had seen him. There was a lot of grumbling about him among the crowds. Some argued, he's a good man. But others said, he's nothing but a fraud who deceives the people. But no one had the courage to speak favorably about him in public, for they were afraid of getting in trouble with the Jewish leaders. This is God's word.
0: Let's pray before we get into this section of John. So, let's just pray together. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning again, and we ask, Lord, that you would help me to share the word of God as it is intended to be shared. That truth would be told that hearts would be open to receive from you truth. I ask, Father, that the end result of this would be not just a greater understanding of your word, but a far deeper application of your word. That there would be heart transformation, life transformation. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Summer is over and the kids are in school. Yeah! Finally! I don't know if you're as excited about it as I am, but I am loving it. Having my mornings to myself again. I got this wonderful note this week from a gal in our church and it uh, really blessed my heart. So I wanted to share it with you briefly. I asked her for permission and she said it was okay to share the story. This is what she said I was praying through the text, as the 20 minute morning says, I should each day. I just got a very strong desire from God for my church. I wanted to thank God for everything Canyon Ridge has done for me. I feel so blessed to have this church body. I wasn't reading my Bible. I know I should and I would try, but it just never stuck. Now since I have started 20-minute mornings, I am reading my Bible. I praise God that I have a church that says, here is a way that you can all together be better, read your Bible, And we will help you get started. Instead of demanding that we read our Bibles every day, you have shown us. I had a stumbling block placed in my my heart about reading the Bible. I would trip over it. Every time I tried to read, these past hurts would come up. But now, with this 20-minute mornings, I haven't felt that hurt once. I am so grateful to God that he has removed this stumbling block from my life. It is now gone, and I just wanted to say thank you. Isn't that great? How somebody, her heart, her life was transformed by something as simple as 20-minute mornings. If you don't know about it, then uh, grab me after the service. I'll tell you more about it. But the whole church is involved in this 20-minute mornings, and uh, if if you don't know about it, then we want to get you involved with that as well. The text for today is John chapter 7. We have already gone through the first six chapters of John earlier this year, and then we uh, went away from that for a little bit, and now we're back into uh, the seventh chapter. And I've titled this, The Timing of God. At this point in the text, we are six months away from the crucifixion. Just so you can have kind of a sense of the timing and the time frame, in six months will be Passover. Jesus will have the last supper with his disciples, and then he'll be crucified. And so at this point in time, they are about to celebrate the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles. This is one of the three major feasts that the Jewish people celebrated. All Jewish males were required to attend. They would bring their families. They would all travel to Jerusalem for one full week of celebration. The purpose of this festival was to glorify God and to worship him and thank him for his provision in the wilderness. So they would build these makeshift uh, huts and tents, uh, people who came from, you know, living out in the outskirts would come in and they would build these little huts. And if you lived in Jerusalem, you would uh, build a little hut on the top of your roof. And they would live in that as a way of reminder to them and to their children that God provided for them in the wilderness. And they also added to that a water ceremony and a fire ceremony, also representing God's provision and his blessing while they were in the wilderness and so this is the festival that is about to begin in this text here and Jesus's brothers are urging him to go to this festival and get his name out there they say essentially Jesus if you're gonna get your message out you need to go to Jerusalem because that's where everything is happening. That's where the crowds are. And if you're, you're, you're really this miracle worker, you should be doing that there. I think if this were happening in Washington, then it would be like Jesus' base of ministry is in Roy. And so he's there in Roy. And uh, if you've never been to Roy, you haven't missed anything. There's nothing there. And his brothers would say, now listen, Jesus, in Seattle, they have CenturyLink Field. It's this huge stadium. We could get Russell Wilson. He could introduce you. It would be awesome. we this massive crowd. What are you doing in Roy? You need to be in Jerusalem. This is what essentially his brothers are saying to him. And this is good advice, right? I mean, this makes sense. You're not going to get your message out in Roy. Get to the city. Get to Jerusalem, where everybody is, where the multitudes are, and then they will see who you are. But Jesus says to his brothers, I'm sorry, no. The time is not right for me. This is not the right timing for me to go and do this. Now, we know a fair amount about Jesus' family. We know, as for example, in Matthew 13, verse 55, that Matthew lists the names of his brothers. It says James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas are all brothers of Jesus. Now, that's not to be confused with Judas Iscariot, the disciple that betrayed him. Okay, that's this is a different Judas, and uh, he after Judas Iscariot betrayed Christ. He didn't go by Judas anymore; he went by Jude. And you can understand why. I mean, if you lived in 1945 and your name was Hitler, would you change it? (laughs) Yeah, I would too. So Jesus has four brothers. And we know quite a bit about them, actually. We know that he also had sisters. If you look at the next verse, 56, says that he has sisters, but Matthew doesn't tell us their names. We don't know anything about his sisters other than the fact that he has at least two, right? Not one, but two or more sisters. And I think that there is, you can detect in this, a little bit of irritation in his brother's request. I mean, don't you think that it would be irritating to grow up with a sibling that was perfect? (laughs) I mean, you're getting spankings all the time. And every time you get spanked, Jesus looks at you and goes, you shouldn't have done that. (laughs) When your dad asks you to take out the garbage, you're like, oh, do I have to? And when he asked Jesus, he says, Oh, absolutely, Father, here you go. (laughs) He's always serving. He's always saying the right thing. He's always doing the right thing. He's perfect. (laughs) Had to have been very, very annoying. But the good news is, We know what happened to his brothers. They didn't stay this way. John throws it a footnote there. He says this time his brothers did not believe in him. But we know that's not where it ended. Because Luke tells us that in the upper room... After the resurrection, when their disciples are there waiting in prayer, there's about 120 people in the upper room, and it says his mother, Mary, was there as well as his brothers. So his brothers were there waiting, and so when Jesus came through the wall into the upper room and they received the Holy Spirit, his four brothers were there, and they received that as well. And so they became converted to believe that their brother was God. Think about that. That'll blow your mind. James is the oldest from Jesus. So Jesus is the firstborn and then James. And we know that James eventually became the leader of the church in Jerusalem, and he wrote the epistle, James, named after him. So if you've ever read the epistle of James, that was Jesus' younger brother who wrote that. Uh, James was eventually beheaded in the city of Jerusalem for his faith. Joseph, the next one down, we don't know a whole lot about Joseph, and there are some speculations and different things. But Simon and Jude, we know a lot more about. Both uh, Simon and Jude were uh, beheaded for their faith in Rome. They were beheaded by the Romans. Jude wrote an epistle. And can you guess what it's called? The book of Jude, right? So Jude, Revelation. So Revelation is the last book in the New Testament. Jude, his book is right before. Jude was the youngest brother of Jesus who wrote that book. And think about Mary, their mother. What an incredible woman she was, Here she is standing here watching her son be tortured and murdered, her perfect son. Then some months later, perhaps a year later, her next son is murdered and killed. And then her next son, and next son, and next son, and all of her boys killed, gone. She had to endure all of that. What an amazing woman. I can't even imagine carrying that kind of burden. We don't know how Mary died, and we don't know when she died. For some reason, God has kept that information from us, so nobody knows. I think this is, something is amazing about these brothers of his and that's you know want to want to pause on this for just a moment because I think that this is something of note his brothers as far as we know never made a big deal about being the brother of God you know they never put on their business card by the way god is my brother my older brother never threw that name out, never name-dropped Jesus. And how can I say that? Well, if you look at verse one of James one, so the book of James, written by his younger brother, verse one, he says this, this letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? He's referring to his older brother. But he doesn't call him my older brother. He doesn't in any way insinuate that he is in any way some equal to Jesus. Look at what Jude says in his book, his letter. Is it verse 1 of Jude 1? This letter is from Jude, a slave of Christ and a brother of James. Uh, oh, oh, I got this reversed. James's letter says, Uh, This is a letter from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So both brothers are saying they're a slave to God and to Jesus Christ. Is there any brother, brother in the whole world that would say that about their older brother? Now, an older brother would say that to a younger brother. You're my slave. But would a younger brother say that of an older brother? No, 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 no. You never would. That's bizarre. Unless he was more than just their brother. Something else that I think is important to see in this text is something that isn't said. In chapter 6, we leave off, and we begin in chapter 7 with, okay, and therefore this now is taking place as, as if it was referring to what happened in chapter 6. And in chapter 6, they were celebrating Passover. So Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles is about six, seven months apart, depending on how the calendar goes. So from the end of chapter six to the beginning of chapter seven, there are six months missing. John just skips over it. Now his his book was never intended to be a, you know, a, a clear biography step by step. He's giving us the highlights. but and even the other writers, Luke and Matthew, Mark, they don't give us very much detail about went on during that seven period, seven month period, except for the fact that they say, Jesus spent that time with his disciples. So he essentially took about six months, seven months in the little town of Roy to disciple his disciples. And he's doing this right after he had the biggest miracle of his whole ministry. Right? Chapter 6, feeding of the 5,000, which, which I told you was actually more like 20,000 people. You remember? The sheer magnitude of this miracle is unbelievable, and how he fed 20,000 people. I mean, just blows your mind. I, I, if you, you probably don't remember, but I read to you a CNN article that I found. The title of that article is How to Feed 20,000 People in One Setting. You can look it up. And this is what they came up with. They said, okay, if you're going to feed 20,000 people all at once, you need 500 cooks. You need to begin cooking 72 hours before the meal. 72 hours in advance. You need 15,432 pounds of fish. And 8,818 pounds of crackers. We're talking dump truck load. Size of food. It would take 200 people passing out the food with 200 baskets. And it would take them 33 hours to pass out the food to the 20,000. And the cost would be somewhere around $100,000 100000 to $150,000. So you can see what an incredible miracle that was because he fed 20,000 people with just a little bit of crackers and two fish and did it quickly, and everybody was full. It was a massive miracle. And at the end of that, they all defect. They take off. They say, Your words are too much for us, Jesus. We don't want to follow you. And so, after all of that, the whole crowd, they all just took off. And so, here's Jesus. He's at the utter lowest point in his ministry. And he says to his disciples, Are you leaving also? And Peter speaks up and says, No, 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 Lord. You are the one who have the words for life. We're not leaving. And so then he takes those 12, he goes off, and for six, seven months, trains them. What is the point I'm getting at? What am I trying to say about this? Well, I think there's this really dangerous trend going on in America, in the American church. Not anywhere else, but perhaps, I don't know about the rest. But here in America, at least, this trend is to... Get as many people as possible crammed into one venue so we can tell them about Jesus. Now, that sounds like good reasoning, doesn't it? It sounds right. I mean, get as many people as you can, tell them about Jesus. That's, that sounds like a good plan. Well, if that's such a great plan, why did Jesus prefer 12 over 20,000. Maybe it's because that's not what the church should do. Maybe the church isn't supposed to go after these big, massive crowds because for one simple reason, I think, it's impossible to disciple a crowd. You can't disciple 20,000 people in a venue. Why? Well, you can tell them about Christ. You can teach the word. But discipleship requires accountability. Discipleship happens when somebody tells me I'm in sin. See, it's not just telling me all the wonderful things about Jesus. Oh, he's so wonderful. He's so great. He's so awesome. so amazing. You're blessed, 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 blessed. Somebody needs to confront my character, my bad character. Then I can change. Then I can become like a follower. I can become a disciple of Christ. And isn't that what Jesus said the church should do? Matthew 28, verses 18, 19, and 20. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching disciples how to obey Making disciples. That's what the church should be doing. And to make a disciple, you teach them how to obey. It's like training a child, right? You teach a child how to obey so that when they become an adult, they prosper. It's a process of teaching them how to obey. Can you, can you tell, try and picture this, okay? Just picture this in your mind. You've got 20,000 four-year-olds. They're in CenturyLink and you need to train them. Shoot me now. (laughs) They will kill you. It can't be done. No, it can't be done. But I can train two or three, right? And you can train two or three. you can take two or three, and you take two or three, and Joyce, she's amazing. She'll take 20. <laughs> and we can do it that way. And that's like what I think Jesus is showing us. Listen, I've, he's called the church to make disciples, and you can't do that in a crowd. You've got to get down to a small group where there can be accountability. And to me, that sounds like a community group. That sounds like a small group where we go and we take what's going on here and we take it even deeper to the point where it sustains us in trial. When we get into our suffering and our challenges, we're held with strong faith because we go deep into Christ because we've been discipled. I think there's a big danger in the church. We're gathering massive crowds and making very few disciples. (laughs) To me, it's abundantly clear. God prefers Making disciples over getting a crowd. I tried to find in the scripture anywhere that would say, Get a crowd, get a crowd, build the crowd. I couldn't find it. So Jesus tells his brothers, It's not my time. I can't go with you. Now, he wasn't saying to them, I'm not going to the festival, because if you look at the verses right after that, guess what? He goes. (laughs) He waits a few days, and then he goes to the festival, but he goes in secret. And he goes through, Luke tells us, he goes through Samaria. So there's this massive caravan caravan of people heading to Jerusalem, probably uh, miles long. How can I say that? Well, because we see earlier on in Matthew that Jesus goes into the temple when he's 12 years old and he's teaching in the temple and his brothers and sisters catch up, catch up to him and they say, what are you doing? We have been searching you for one entire day. So the family had gone a day's journey ahead of them and they had to come a whole day's journey back to find Jesus. So we're talking about a massive caravan. And Jesus, his time wasn't yet, he didn't want to be recognized by the caravan, so he goes through Samaria, where nobody would dare go through Samaria, right? Remember, Jews hate the Samaritans, they avoid Samaria, so he could go on his own virtually, walk right into Samaria, and he would know a lot of people there. Why? Because you remember in chapter four, he met a woman at the well in the middle of the town of Samaria, and there was this big revival that started. So there would be Christians there that he could see and touch bases with on his way to the festival. He shows up midway through the festival and he's there in secret. So I think there's at least five things, five things that we can get from this text that I think will apply to our daily lives. And I want you to see, I want, really, I want you to catch this, church. The Bible is so full, chocked full of great, amazing things that you will never run out of enough truth and teaching for your whole life, okay? And so I, I wanna, I'm hoping to show you that by these five things. All five of these come out of these 13 verses. Number one. God operates on his own timetable, and we are not privy to the timetable. In other words, he isn't showing us his timetable. We know some things, okay? We know that the end times are coming, but we don't know when. We know that Jesus will return, but we don't know when he'll return. And if anybody says they know when Jesus is going to return, they're a liar, They don't know. Nobody knows but the Father. And so everything God does is planned out. It is executed exactly in the right time. And so his brothers said to him, you can't become famous while you're hiding here. You've got to go to Jerusalem. But Jesus said, no, no, no. You're not on my time frame. You're on your own time frame. I'm on a time frame that comes from God the Father, and it's different than yours. And I think until you become comfortable with that, you will always be frustrated and angry with God's timing. It'll frustrate you continuing. Let's say that you're waiting on God to do a particular thing in your life. Maybe you're a woman, and it's marriage. I want to get married. Ever since you were a little girl, you had the desire and this longing to be married, but then nobody really seemed right, and then now you're 20 years old, and you thought, oh, man, I thought I'd be at least dating by now. And then you're 25, and you know, I thought I'd be married and have kids by now. And God, what is the deal here? Your timing is off. You get angry and frustrated and discouraged. you got to remember, God's timing is not your timing. He has his own timetable. He doesn't follow ours. And we don't know what his is. So what do we do? We must accept his timetable just as his brothers did. They didn't keep fighting with him and arguing with him. They said, okay, 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 fine, we'll go. God's not going to follow anybody's timetable but his own. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he will execute it exactly at the right time. Number two, God's timing almost never matches our own. I mean, right when I think God is really supposed to move. God, you got to come through by Monday at 3 p.m. That's when they're coming. They're coming for me. You got to be there. You got to intervene. You got to do this, God. One o'clock? Two o'clock? Three o'clock? Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten o'clock? God. Where are you? Did you not hear me clearly? I said three o'clock. His timing is not our timing. His timetable is his own. Jesus said to his brothers, You guys can go anytime you want. You can do anything you want at any time you have your own time frame to work with. But I am working on God's timetable. And because it isn't God's time, I'm not going. I'm not doing it. You know... When God makes it abundantly clear in your life that the time is not now. I mean, it's obvious, right? Nothing's happened. It's obvious the timing is not now. Sometimes people complain and they say, well, God is saying no. Well, a lot of times it isn't no. It's just wait a little bit longer. It's not yet. The timing's not right. And so when God makes it clear to you that the timing is not yet There is something we can do. He told his brothers, no, go. I'm not going. You go. And so there is something that God has for us to do as we wait for that thing we so desperately need. And I think the way you find out is you just simply get before the Lord and you say, Lord, okay, I understand. The timing is not now. Please show me what I can do in the meantime. Show me how to be in the meantime. I'm grieving. I'm sorrowful. I want this, God. I'm disappointed. Show me how to handle this in the meantime. And I believe he will answer that every single time. He will show you what you must do in the meantime. Number three, sometimes it's not the right time And when it doesn't happen, it's, and when it does actually happen, it's completely different than we expected. Maybe you've experienced that before. I can think of many different occasions where I've prayed and said, God, I need this, I need this, I need this. And then he answers the prayer, but it is completely different than what I thought, how I expected. He just simply did it his way, not my way. And that's exactly what Jesus did here. He said to them, no, I'm not going to go with you. But he did end up going anyway, and he went in secret. So he was there, they just didn't know it. And I wonder how many times that's the case with us. They were praying and praying and seeing God and asking for this, and it feels like, it seems like God is nowhere. But no, he is there but he's there in a way that you can't see him. And he's done that for his reasons. Perhaps to test your faith. Perhaps to see if you're really serious about this. You're really gonna trust him? So he's there, but he's there in secret. You can't see, you can't feel, you don't know. Tests our faith. Causes us to trust him, to go deeper in him. Number four, (laughs) you're going to laugh at this. God's timing makes absolutely no sense. Does it? I mean, we got this figured out. His brothers, they were right. There isn't a marketing agency in the world that's going to disagree with the advice they gave. Right? You're trying to get your message out? Do you go to the smallest town there is or do you go to the biggest town? You tell me. Will you go to the biggest town. They were right. They were right. But that, as it turns out, they were wrong. And so God's understanding of timing and time frame is not ours. And it doesn't make sense. But it will help you to know that it doesn't make sense. Okay, it's like this. You say, okay, Lord, I, I see that you've obviously decided to wait. Okay, I'm willing to wait. I trust you that you're good. I will still believe in you. I will still call you good. I will still follow you. I will wait for you to move on my behalf because you are good. I don't understand it. I don't like it. It bothers me. It makes me afraid. But nonetheless, I trust you. I trust you. I'll follow you. And then what happens, this beautiful thing happens, is when it unfolds in all of its beauty, you look at that and you go, oh, God, I'm so glad you did it your way. It's much better your way. Much better. Had we done it my way, it would have been a disaster. Thank you, God. You knew You you know me better than I know myself. You know what I want better than I know what I want. And so after our faith is exercised, the understanding comes. And here's the last one, we'll wrap it up. Number five, it is critically important. Did you hear me? Critically important that we get before God every morning to seek his will for our lives precisely because we don't know what his will is. We don't know his timetable. We can't see it. So we don't know what to do. So we need to go to him. The wisest man that ever lived next to Jesus, so Jesus is number one, the second wisest man ever lived on the face of the earth was Solomon. And listen to what he said here. He said, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Now, if that isn't just plain as day, I don't know what is. That is just clearly as plain as day. Get up in the morning and get with God and lay out your plans because you don't want to be going against his plans. Guess what happens? And I'll tell you because I've done it, okay? I'm an expert at this. I am. Every single time I went out and did my plan against God's plan, it failed. (laughs) Every single time. So if you want to be a failure, talk to me. I'll I'll, I'll explain it to you. You'll be awesome. You'll be failing like crazy. That's how you do it. Get ahead of God. Get out of his timing. Make it happen. You know what? There's this guy. His name is Abraham. You'll read about him in the Old Testament. Boy, did he screw up with that. God told him that he was going to make him a father of many nations, you know, great nation, all these people. And he said, okay, well, and it must be right now. And whoa, was that a mistake. Look it up sometime. Let me finish by saying this, because some of us are suffering with God's timetable. It causes suffering. I've been dealing with this painful disease for about nine years. This is constant pain. And I thought I would have been healed by now. I mean, I thought years ago I would have been healed. For sure. I mean, it makes no sense. If you want me to serve you, why disable me so, so hard? Why... I don't get this, but it keeps going year after year after year after year. And at first, I used to constantly cry out, why, 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 what did I do? Why are you doing this to me? I got through that eventually and realized, okay, that's not going to help me at all. And so you too as well, you, you've got this thing that you need from God. Maybe you have a family member that needs to be saved, or you've got a relationship that's just horrible, needs to be put back together, or, or poverty, or whatever it is. You've got this burden that you're carrying. And it's so hard, it's so disappointing, it's just unanswered prayers, painful. And it's hard to wait, especially when you have this conflict in your heart of this strong desire for this thing and yet no provision, no answer. And you'd say, God, why did you give me this strong desire if you're not going to answer it? It doesn't make sense to me. Take away this desire then. But he doesn't. And it's so hard. This is the deep waters of faith to trust God through this. Let me give you just one piece of hope. Listen to this. These are the words of Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Are, are you tired of carrying this burden? Are you weary? Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear. And the burden I give you is light. I can testify to the truth of that. I know the truth of that. I cannot remember how many times I have been laying on the tile floor in the shower, curled up in a ball, crying and trying to get relief from pain. And in the most dark, discouraging moments, I have found every single time when I cry out to Jesus, he's there and he comforts me, he helps me, he talks to me, he reminds me of scripture, he pulls me out of it and I've known him in such a deep way like I never have known him before. And so this is true. You can can do this and have it work. Right here, Matthew 11, bank on it. So let's end this with prayer this morning, and I would like to give you the opportunity to bring your burden before the Lord. So whatever your burden is today that you're carrying, maybe it's a great need. Maybe you want to have a child and you can't. Maybe you, you, you long for this career and it just is not happening and you just keep getting passed over and over and over and over. Maybe it's this dream that God has given you and it just looks like the dream is dead. It'll never happen. I don't know. But if you're carrying that burden, I want to invite you this morning to go with me before Jesus and lay it at his feet. and Take up his yoke take up his burden and carry that because his is light and easy let's pray father in heaven we come before you this morning again and father you're so good oh you're so good And Lord, you are teaching me how to worship in the darkness as well as the light. Oh, how easy it is to worship in the light when everything is going great. Oh, how hard it is to worship when your body and your heart is aching. Lord, teach us as a church how to go deeper with you. How to not despise you or get angry with you or blame you for our problems. To not curse you, to to not say you're not real. To lose our faith. God, pull us in tight to your chest and whisper words of love and comfort, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.